You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, I'm so delighted to be with you today, so thankful for that. It's often a battle getting here once you get here. We have no more Kleenex in the seats anymore. Have you noticed that? So I had to make sure I got some from the room there over in the back, whatever. But I always love that we've been a Kleenex church. So one day soon we can return to that. We pray, Lord willing, by faith, by faith, at the right time. Acts chapter 20, uh, you heard the Summer and the Psalm series that's starting this week. Um, that is meant for groups, but our whole church, our whole church. Um, hey, hey, church, just make sure you look here for a second, okay? So good to see you today. So glad you're watching online. We're doing this because we love you, okay? We're trying to do as much as we can to feed and encourage and disciple the church. And so we're really hoping you would take advantage of that. We're so hoping you would take advantage of the, of the video teaching that's going to come out uh, now all through the summer and the different psalms as you get to be a part of a weekend and what we're doing now, but then in the midweek too, to maybe you're going to get together with people and study that psalm together. There's, there's curriculum provided. We're doing it because we want to continue to see us grow and be strengthened. We have to. We're, we're going to see that today too. If we're not doing that, we're dead. Like we cannot do this apart from the Spirit of God, through prayer, and through the Word of God specifically. And so that's our heart. We're not doing it because just trying to kill some time. We're doing it because this is the sustaining power that God has given to us, again, by the provision of His Spirit and His Word. So just take full advantage of that. And don't do it alone. I mean, if, if, if you can, don't do it alone. Even grab two or three people and come together and seek to grow together in the Word. Again, that's our desire as pastors and leaders and elders, again, of this church. So we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20, and what we see here in verse 25, actually, in verse 25 of Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul is explicitly saying this, and I'm trusting that most of us have been tracking where we've been in the last, let's see, 10 months? Yeah, 10 months, okay? He's saying this, he will never again see the Ephesian elders. Okay, so I want you to look at that verse 25. He says, and none of you... And eventually he says, none of you will see my face again. Wow. None of you will see my face again. Now we know, look at verses 36 and 38. We know in our context here, these guys, Paul, the Ephesians elders, they loved each other. Um, verses 36 and 38, it's this beautiful scene that is described. As Paul's about to leave, they all kneel down on the beach. They pray and they weep. They weep because they love each other so much. What a beautiful love displayed here and for us to emulate as well. Now, if you're Paul, okay, again, and you know this is your reality, well, what happens, right? When you know this is your reality, this is your final chance to speak to the Ephesian elders because the Lord has revealed to you, you're not going to see these guys ever again, not face to face. What does that change for you? By the way, again, when you're in God's Word, live in the text. Live in the text. Put yourself there. Imagine the emotion of the moment. Imagine the urgency. Imagine the clarity. Imagine the feeling of this. This is what Paul will be going through. You, you have these final words to speak to these Ephesian elders. You'd be packed with love, packed with importance. This is not some casual conversation. This is a conversation of critical nature. In fact, in some ways, this isn't far from a scene, let's say, of someone on their deathbed. And they have a few moments left or a few days left to say what matters most to them in all of life to the people that are gathered around their deathbed. It's not far from that here. 
This is in part what Paul would be feeling. I only got these few sentences I can say face to face. What's it going to be? What am I going to choose to talk about? And the person lying in their deathbed, they will look at their loved ones as they gather around and they will not waste a word. They will say again what, what is most meaningful and matters most to them. And so what Paul does here, he takes the elders aside and he pours into them this essential message for this moment. And what he does, so interestingly, he gives them life-giving lessons of leadership. That's our sermon title. Life-giving lessons in leadership. Again, our context is elders, which is wonderful, but what we're about to hear transfers to every single person listening, watching here with us right now. Because here's what we know, here's what Paul knows. As the leaders go, the church goes. Every single time. As go the leaders, so go the church. It's, it's really the design of God. What I love too, this is the third week in a row in Acts chapter 20, we have receiving some form of ecclesiology from the Lord. Some form of direct teaching on the study of the church as we begin to regather. I'm so thankful for that. It's so needed. It's so perfect. And this is really heightening the sense of spiritual leadership. I, I love spiritual leadership. There's just kind of one passion I seek to pursue in terms of God's word. It's spiritual leadership because it impacts everything. There may not be any more important subject in terms of God's truth and God's application than the leadership of that spiritually in the pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual leadership defines our lives. Whether you're an elder, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a mother, whether you're uh, an employee, employer, whether you are a dad or a friend. I mean, it's all leadership on some level all the time. And you put the spiritual essence of that in Jesus Christ, and man, it literally changes lives probably more than any other thing. That's, that's what God does. So much of this book, so much of the New Testament is an aspect and focus of spiritual leadership. And our text is no exception today. So here we go, life-giving lessons in leadership Point number one from Paul to the Ephesian elders he'll never see again is this. Number one, watch the flock with care. Watch the flock with care. Verse 28, Paul, he begins his direct exhortation to the Ephesian elders. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Interesting. Notice, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice that phrase there, pay careful attention. It carries the meaning of being um, a watchman. Standing at your, visualize this with me, standing at your post, guarding, vigilance, not falling asleep, being alert. Again, seeing, making sure that people are cared for, the enemy is not coming, all that kind of stuff. What an important principle for the Christian life. Absolutely fundamental. Pay careful attention to the flock entrusted to you. So important, fundamental, especially for the church leader. You know, one of the greatest burdens of the church and my church leadership over the last 20 years is this, is that you can't really relax. I'm not saying you can't rest. What I mean is you can't relax your guard from the attempts of the enemy and opposition. You just can't let your guard down. 
The enemy, the devil, Satan, he rolls around like a, like a, a roaring lion, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He never rests. Just when you think he's kind of like fed up and he comes back and he takes seven more demons with him to try to destroy the person entirely. He's just, he knows his time is short. He's just unrelenting, unceasing in his desire to destroy and to discourage and to dismantle the things of Jesus Christ. And to be honest, you know, I think of, for me, 20 years of church leadership in some form, it's, it's just that, that's the one thing that can exhaust me the most, knowing this isn't going to end until heaven. Because you're like, can I actually, can I keep doing this? You know, if you think of a boxer, a bo- not that I know much about boxing, but I know just, just enough. A boxer keeping his guard up, especially if you're right-handed, the left hand, the guard that is here in both hands, you're guarding the most critical part of your head and and not being knocked out. And it's amazing. It's the boxers get cocky and arrogant, and they start to, like, do a little dance, put their hands down, they do their dance, whatever, and all of a sudden, bam, sucker punch, there they go on the canvas, done. And it's amazing in the Christian life to keep your guard up to watch with all vigilance. It's amazing how often Christians, I see all the time. I feel all the time. You just go, "Ah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good, man. Actually, I saw a victory yesterday. I'm good. Walk around like this. I'm like, hey, you're tempting, whatever. And next thing you know, boom, just get nailed. And the, and the believer, the brothers on the floor, drool coming out of their mouths, uncon- and you're like, dude, you got to get up, man. Get your guard up. And what's so exhausting for me, sometimes your hands get tired, don't they? They just get tired. Just, I don't want to keep my hands up. I just want to put them down. By God's strength and God's grace and God's spirit, you're always ready every day, even on vacation. Even when things seem to be calm, you wake up vigilant. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Notice again in verse 28, notice that order. Ready? Watching to yourselves one, then to the flock two. Why is that so important for leadership? Well, here's why. How do you care for others when you yourself are lying in the ditch? How do you ignite someone else's fire when your fire's gone out? How can you possibly sense that you're able to, again, transfer life and energy and encouragement and passion when you yourself are lukewarm and just kind of fading away? You can't do it. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't leave where you don't go. And going through acts in this way, it only for me, it only heightens in some ways so fresh for me, only heightens Paul's epistles. Look what Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Look, look at how close this is to our text today. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself, young Timothy. Get your guard up, man. Don't let it down, because if you persist in this, you will not only save yourself, but the hearers that are there because you're handling life and death with the gospel every day. It's so critical. You know, I'll speak for myself. I'm no good to anyone if I'm falling apart. And this past season requires some very careful assessment. You know, it's been so unique for all of us 
including pastors and leaders. There's, there's many articles coming out as you start to assess the demands, most of it even subconsciously upon pastors and leaders in the church and just the, the way things are going and the flock being scattered and all the, the burdens and especially in certain circumstances. There's been many articles that people have predicted, get ready for the pastoral burnout in the weeks and months to come. Just get ready for it. All the signs are there. I've been in ministry long enough to say that that makes sense. If you're, if you're not careful... And if you try to play hero and go Messiah and whatever it is, and if and again, just I think the hearts are so good, the hearts are so right. But you got to be so careful in seasons like this that have no one's ever gone through this before in this way. There's no comparisons. There's no seminary class for it. You know, people. Hey, what I did during the last pandemic, I did. Just, there's, there's just none of that. And the and the needs and the temptation for division in the church and the different opinions, all those things that are happening, just piles, 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 piles. And you know, what I'm, you know what I'm super concerned about? And just again, in the years of ministry, how few pastors, elders, leaders of significant responsibility, how few of them actually have direct heart accountability in their lives. They're caring for everyone else. No one's caring for them. And that's their fault. That's my fault. To have people, I, I, I ask, I ask brothers, sisters often now, because I've seen this as such a problem, and I ask myself this, who in your life actually cares for your heart and knows you on your worst day? Who do you have? Because if you don't have that, the number one reason pastors get out of ministry, they don't have that what's called a confidant in their lives of actual relationship where they can pour their hearts out and not fear of being judged or held up in some way, they're going to lose their job. This is why Paul says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves first. You pay careful attention, man, because when you're healthy, man, the church has a much, much greater chance of being healthy as well. Healthy, strong leadership then has the capacity to watch over the flock. It just, it just makes sense. Notice the amazing insert in verse 28 here too. See it there? He says, in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. You see that? In which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. So elders here, we learn, elders are not appointed here by humans. They're not, they're not voted in by humans. Elders in this sense right here in this text are appointed by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how does that happen? A spirit-filled, spirit-led church is aware of the leaders that God is raising up and exalting and appointing within them. And it becomes obvious to all. And then notice the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That you may care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If that doesn't put the fear of God in your leadership, I'm not sure what will. You know, I think about the burdens of leadership over these past several months. I think it's important at times just, just to share my heart, share the hearts of our elders as well. I think of the leadership burdens again over the past several months, and honestly, I think they've been beautiful burdens, beautiful burdens. Haven't always wanted to say that. But think about it, Long, longing to know how the flock is doing, but you can't see you. You know, like, like staring into a camera week after week and just like, I wonder how they're doing. And I wonder where they are, and I wonder like, how, like, 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 like how's it going, really? You know, you get little tidbits and, and points of data, and you're trusting the leadership and structure and the groups and whatever, but 
What about the people on the periphery as we all go through seasons we've never been, never been through before? I really think this has taken a toll on some of our staff. And I don't, I don't think some of them can even describe it for you. I don't think they can even articulate why they're feeling the way they're feeling fully. I've been in an unprecedented season of separation. But the all-out desire to care and shepherd and disciple, the all-out desire to love the flock, it's hard to watch the flock when you can't see the flock. I'm trying to imagine a, a shepherd caring for his sheep by Zoom. That would be tough, wouldn't it? Hey, hey, come back here. I see you. You're out of the screen. Where'd you go? You know, like, that'd be pretty tough. And in some ways, that's what we've been seeking to do. In some ways. Again, I think of all these different issues, and then in recent weeks, the racism issue, which erupts in my, my heart personally, has been ripped apart. God, help us lead well. Help us care well. You know, the enemy is so... So hard at work in all of this. The enemy is seeking to try every single situation that comes up. The enemy is trying to divide as much as ever. Think about it. All the attempts of division. It's important to say these things out loud. Are the enemy tempting for people to be divided on the different views of COVID-19 and how to respond? The different views on regathering. The enemy trying to use that to divide. The creating understanding on this massively important issue of racism. The enemy trying to use that in different ways. In some ways, I look on the last couple of months, and personally, I've never, I've never encountered a season of burden of leadership than, than in the past three and a half months. Never. But I got to tell you, like, as I look back upon it, though, and I say to, you know, friends and loved ones and, and church members, too, is that I do think there's a, a privilege in it, and I do think there's a huge blessing Because when, when you get weight put on you, and it's a heavier weight than you felt before, and you have God's strength where you're able to press up against that weight, what happens is your muscles do get stronger. And your spiritual strength increases. And that's always the way it's been and always the way it will go. So as much as this past season has been unexpected, not prepared, and in one sense, I'm really trusting God. It's going to be very beautiful, and it has been beautiful. But again, I just, I want you to hear the heart as I express the heart of the elders of this church too, deep desiring to see the privilege of caring, and yet, Lord, we need you to do what only you can do. Don't you see as you come to this text, this is in large part with the elders, we long to be together. Like, this is Why? You long to be together because then you can watch and care and feed and protect the flock and to be there together and to have the sense of love and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. At least you can appreciate, if you're watching right now or here right now, at least you can appreciate the longing for that spiritually and according to the Bible. And that's good. That's good. After all, it's the church which God obtained by the blood of his son. Is there anything more precious than that? Watch the flock with care. Watch the flock with care. And notice inherent in this text, you have a local church, local elders, lo local love. A local church appointed with local elders and manifesting local love. 
And I want you to see in this case how the love is primarily manifested. Point number two, watch the flock, then protect the flock from wolves. Look at verse 29. Again, this is his last speech he can say. This is what he chooses to say. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock, for I know, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Notice this. So now we see Paul's burden for watching with vigilance. Why? Because the enemy's lurking. The enemy's lurking with murderous intent. The flock of sheep metaphor is carried on here with the introduction now of wolves. But notice, not just wolves, fierce wolves. Fierce wolves, fierce means um, um, savage, evil, wicked, murderous. And notice these wolves will come from without. Notice the description, they won't spare the flock. They will not. there's, There's nothing nice in them. Their intent is single-minded, ravage and ruin the church. I mean, just recently reading in the Gospels, in the Sermon on the Mount, and my own readings, and in the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, beware for false teachers will come among you, wolves in sheep's clothing. It's just so clear the things that we need to expect as a church and as pastors and as elders now. Paul says, no, in the text, he says, I know, see that? I know, verse 29, I know this will happen. He's already seen it. He knows it's going to happen again. Think about this. How much of Paul's epistles, he wrote 13, how many of Paul's epistles are dedicated to false teaching? All of them contain substantial portions of God's written and holy word, the one book he's given to us, and the amount of real estate that God has put in these in terms of watch out for false teaching. You think it matters to the Lord? You think protecting the flock is important to God and the leadership of the church? You think the truth matters to God? Do you think he cares for the well-being of your hearts and minds in terms of the world that we live in? And the attack of information and false teaching we receive on a daily, you you think that matters? You better believe that matters to the Lord. He says, I know this is going to happen. From the, the inception of the church in Acts, the onslaught of false teaching that seeks to destroy the church. And therefore the diligence and the vigilance that is required to protect the church in our day. And you stop and you think of history and you think of right now, you think the incessant and unceasing varieties of false teaching and false deception that plagues the church. We've got to protect the flock from wolves. Notice the wolves that come fiercely from without, but notice the wolves that come within. Notice he says there at verse 30. In verse 30, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Stare at that verse for a second. Everyone at home, look at that verse carefully. Notice, notice. The wolves come from without. 
Sometimes easier to spot, but then the wolves from within. The wolves in sheep's clothing, but wolves nonetheless. You know, one of the things we overlooked in this pandemic is our church had its 16th birthday. Oops, that's understandable though, right? There's a lot going on. Just online, all that kind of stuff. We, 16 years old, I guess that means we can get our license, whatever that means now, I have no idea. But I think back over the years, I think back, you look at the history of our church, and I think of the attempts of people who slide into the church. Like I have stories in my mind right now, man, and some very hard moments of people who come in and they look like one thing, and, and, you know, I was convinced in certain areas, remember, just seeing person all of a sudden, over time, all of a sudden, I think one of the main things that happens here, notice in the text, they speak twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's one of the greatest signs of false teaching and wolves in the church. They try to rise up and get people to follow them as opposed to Jesus Christ. And we've had that happen in our church over the years. Some small some not small. Men and women wandering around the church whispering twisted things, looking for the vulnerable, the naive. I know I look back upon 16 years and I think of the journey of protection. Wow. These wolves in sheep's clothing, so seductive, so subtle often, so sinister. And you know what? These wolves speaking twisted things into the church. It's happening right now in our church. You say, how do you know? Because it's always happening, loved ones. It's always happening. Maybe there's some watching right now and their intents are just flat out evil. There's no desire for good for Christ. It's just desire for self. It's always happening. People seeking to form cliques, draw followers to themselves away from the church, away from Christ, toward their own wicked agendas, they get after themselves. I think of, again, again, heart of a shepherd, the desire of elders here. We're in this pandemic. Pandemic brings distance. And distance and isolation, the Bible says, leaves people very vulnerable. People who don't want to be isolated from the church have been forced to be isolated in some measure, at least physically, and in proximity, away from the church. They're away from the natural protection of the body. Do you know the natural protection of this room right now? Do you know God's design and what he brings? How many people have wandered in or in different forms of the expression, local body again, in groups, whatever, ministries, and they come in and they're brought and they're surrounded and protected and it's just, like, um, it's just like an animal under attack. And I love nature shows an animal under attack from, let's say, some kind of big lion. And so often, like the buffalo, they will, they will gather around. They will circle the weak. And they will protect, again, their young and vulnerable. That's what the church does. But you get isolated. You get away from the body. And all of a sudden, you're super vulnerable. Maybe some of you watching right now, that's where you are. Come back. Come back, be loved. Get yourself under the God-designed protection of the body of Christ and letting people place armor again upon you and to remind yourself of what matters most. It's been hard during this pandemic, hasn't it? People becoming susceptible to the enemy's wiles. And don't say we weren't warned. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Timothy, now the Spirit expressively says, look at the emphasis, the Spirit expressively says that in later times some will depart from the faith, notice, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Wow. 
The Holy Spirit's like, it's, I'm telling you, man, like, I'm, do not, do not mistake what I'm saying. Many will depart from the faith because they're devoting themselves to deceitful spirit and the teaching of demons. Demonic teaching in our day all over the place. Disguised as angels of light sometimes, but at its core, drawing people by the thousands and thousands straight to eternal death and hell. God, protect your church. I hope you're picking this up, man. I'm burdened by this these days. Just praying hard to say, Lord, just lead us. Lead us to do exactly what you want us to do. To love your church, to care for your church, to protect your church. God, please strengthen the minds of your children. Discernment and wisdom and courage. Because it's getting harder and harder to stand for Christ. I had a man I've never met this week say to me in passing in a conversation about what I do. He says, man, it's, I'll paraphrase, he says, it's pretty much not acceptable to be a man of faith these days, is it? I was like, it seems like it is going that way. That's okay. But again, I just the burden, the burden for all of us right now and in some ways the excitement what the Lord is doing even now. Would you pray for your elders as we seek to protect the church from fierce wolves? Would you? Would you pray that light shines and causes darkness to flee? Notice here, okay, notice, ready? A huge part of loving the church is protecting the church, huge. A huge part of shepherding is protecting. A huge part of eldering is protecting is protecting. There's this, this, this massive emphasis in the New Testament I need you to see. This is in part what love does. If you don't do this and you leave your sheep just vulnerably massacred, what kind of shepherd and love are you? Watch the flock with care. Protect the flock from wolves. And thirdly, feed the flock with the word. Look at verse 32. And now I commend to you, God, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Wow. So Paul is leaving them, but he knows they're not alone. He knows they have the Lord, and they, he knows they have his word. Look at, the, look at right here. Like you may not have noticed this ever before. In verse 32, you have an unmistakable reference to the necessity and sufficiency of God's Word. Look at there. Two things Paul says, I commend you to God and the Word of His grace. The Word of His grace, number one, is able to build you up. The Word of God is what God uses to strengthen you to increase your spiritual muscles, to build your framework that lasts and endures through all the trials we face. The word of grace builds us up. And secondly, the word of grace gives you the inheritance among those who are being sanctified, in this case, 
saved. You can't grow without God's word. You can't be saved without God's word. It's the very word of grace that tells us we are sinners that need a Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the very word of God that says, again, that we place our forgiveness or ask for forgiveness from Jesus Christ by placing our faith in him for that forgiveness. Then we are raised from the dead just as he was. Totally forgiven. I mean, to sing that Jesus paid it all today, to sing that and say, I will never die. I am always forgiven. I am justified in his sight. All the wicked I have done, yet I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. The word of grace is used to point us to these places of salvation and sanctification right here in this verse. There's a reason our church is called Hope Bible Church. Without God's word, we're done. You know, it's, it's startling to me how many Christians think they can follow Christ apart from his word. It's shocking to me. I just, half my ministry is begging people to say, don't you, don't you understand? You cannot follow Christ apart from his truth. And the one place his truth is found is in his word. Why do you look at the Bible as though it's a chore? I'm just begging people to understand, please do not treat the Bible as something to check off a list. It is God's message of love and grace to allow us to renew our minds and grow us and see us sanctified in the things of the Spirit. But the enemy comes in, the enemy twists that thinking and makes us believe that it's just another boring ritual that we need to do and get through or maybe not do at all. It's devastating to me when I think about it long enough. So many people are so profoundly misled. Consider, consider the biblical truths regarding the Bible. I commend you to the word of his grace. These are, these are some passages. There's so many. The word sustains us. Matthew 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bam. You live by the word of God. The word grows and prevails. In Acts 19, we just went through this a few weeks ago, and the word of God grew and prevailed mightily. The word of God. The word builds us up and preserves our text today. The word, the gospel, which essentially, again, the word is the power of God for salvation. The word creates faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Next slide. The word performs God's work in believers. That's what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. God's work in you, performing his work, God's word. The word convicts, it judges between soul and spirit. It's alive and active. The word gives new birth. God uses it, again, to save our souls and to regenerate us by his message of grace. The word does this. You can look this up. And the word has regenerating power, 1 Peter 1, that you've been saved by the living and abiding and the unbreakable, imperishable word of God. That's a sample of what the word says about the word. And there are people still listening, watching today, that somehow you've been misled to think you can be a genuine, faithful, fruit-bearing follower of Christ and not be in the book. See, like in our day right now, this, this is everything. 
like, I'm turning 46 in a couple months. As long as I've been alive, I don't know, man, the urgency I feel for this and him and by the Spirit of God. Like, again, like, notice what Paul's, Paul's about to leave. Never see them again. When the, he says, watch, protect. And how's that all done? And he says, man, you feed them the word. The single greatest thing you will do is equip the people by feeding them the word. Now look back. You say, why do we skip over verses 26 and 27? Because we're getting to them right now. Look at verse 26. <clears throat> Therefore, I test you this day, testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Wow. For I did not shrink. Notice this. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's so interesting. This is profound and sobering to me. Paul says he's innocent of the blood of all. But why such drastic language? Well, the context is explained in verse 27. He's innocent of the blood of all because he preached the whole counsel of God. Let's just flip that for a second. If he did not preach the whole counsel of God, all of a sudden, verse 26 says, I am not innocent of the blood of all. Now, that, that hit me in a new way this week. That's sobering. Consider the implication of what Paul is saying. Think of the preaching in our day and over time that excludes the word. Think of the preaching in the churches right now. They're tickling ears and softening the gospel. They have a social gospel without the actual gospel. Think of the pages being torn out of the Bible on a weekly basis. Because so many teachers are seeking to see man's approval as opposed to God's. This sobers me because this passage tells me right here what that verse, what this verse tells me is people who do such things, blood is on their hands. And that's frightening to me. That's what Paul's saying. You know, for sure, 100% for sure, there are millions that will be standing before the throne of judgment, millions and millions and millions to come, who will stand before the throne of judgment and realize in that moment before the glory and the awesome power and the holiness of Jesus Christ, they did not know the true gospel. They never knew the true gospel. I got to go golfing this week, a friend from our church for the first time. We were paired up with another twosome, started talking to them, some nice guys in conversation. They're from... an orthodox background. We got talking, I'm curious about this, and just wanting to, you know, see if conversation could go in certain areas. And at one point, found out I was a pastor. That always is interesting where the conversation goes once they find out you're a pastor. But it wasn't too bad this time. And, uh, and I remember just, just saying, understanding their background and kind of where they are, and I just found the courage just to say, hey, um, can I ask you a theological question? He's like, uh, no one's ever asked me if they wanted to ask me a theological question their whole life. You know what I mean? One of those things, I'm like, can you explain to me what you believe in, like, what salvation means to you? Like, in the church that you attend, how is someone saved? How do they get to heaven? What does salvation mean to you? And I knew that just by asking the question, then it obviously, it, it lends itself to an opportunity to, and, and his answer basically was, you know, salvation by a form of works based on sacraments. And not, not denying that works are a result of true salvation, and yet works don't produce salvation. I mean, every chance to say, can I tell you what I believe about that? And this was like a whole later. So the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that for by grace you're, 
been saved through faith. And just said, you, what does grace mean to you? And his answer was something a little bit different than what I would believe grace to be, but just had a chance. It's so interesting, like, you, 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 you start sharing the gospel, and I'm saying, hey, grace was saved through faith to Jesus, and literally as I'm talking, he's like, interesting, and he's walking away from me like this, you know what I mean? So, and it's like, and that's just the way it goes, and yet, and yet the chance to say, by grace, you've been saved through faith because of Jesus Christ and what he did, but when I walked away from there, and you're just burdened to try to tell people what's true, The pastor priest who teaches him, from what I can tell, has blood on his hands. Because he's never been taught the true gospel. And that's a big deal to me. You know, like... It's just, it's so important that we love in truth and grace with that truth. But to understand what, what Paul's saying here, man, if you're, if you're going to love the sheep, you're going to feed them my word. You ever notice that in John chapter 21 when Jesus reconnects with Peter? And after Peter denied Jesus three times, you ever notice how profound it is what Jesus says to him? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, three times. Do you love me? God, you know, Jesus, you know I love you, I love you. Every time, what does Jesus say? His response, if you love me, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's, that's got to be important then to Jesus. And here's Paul basically saying the same thing. Ephesian elders, if you do anything, man, this point forward, protect the flock, watch the flock, listen, feed. Feed the flock with the word of God because it's the word of God that is used to secure, to save, to sanctify, and to grow. Do it in love. Start here because the word of God leads us to do everything else how beautiful it is. And so to end this time right now, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us according to this, this text today. And I encourage you, you can join me. Worship team, you can come up if you want to, but let's just, I think this is a serious moment, an important moment, so I just, you can bow your heads with me. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would equip us by your Spirit to watch, to watch your flock with care. God, I pray you'd help us to love in grace and to love in truth. I beg you, Lord, by your Spirit, you will equip us, help us to protect the flock. Lord, I think of all the people that might be in places of vulnerability and isolation, maybe even watching right now, and I just, I, I, I beg you, you're surrounding them, you are renewing their minds, you are allowing them to see light, the darkness is fleeing, 
I just think of all the enemy's attempts right now to confuse and divide and distort and dismantle, but in Jesus' name, oh God, protect your church. And I pray, Lord, we would not only be men and women and children that are secure, but I pray we would also be men and women who seek to advance. Can give us courage, and Lord, I pray you will help us to feed your flock. Even today, Lord, this passage, it's so needed. It just feels so right because it is. And Lord, I think of Paul as he knelt down on the beach there and he prayed and wept. They just loved each other so much. I think of those Ephesian elders wiping the sand off their knees and then moving back now to Ephesus. You can imagine the speech they would never forget the rest of their lives and seek to pass on to another generation and another generation of being the church that loves the church by watching the church and protecting the church and, and feeding the church with God's Word. So, Lord, use this time. Use this time powerfully and beautifully. Thank you for your, thank you for answered prayer today. And just for me, thank you for answered prayer, your help, your grace, your kindness, your intimacy, your beauty. Again, it just seems so right what we're doing right now. Gather your church together supernaturally in these days. And I pray you will help us to sing with a tremendous joy and hope together now. In Jesus' name, amen.